0: COVID-19 can be characterised as a pandemic.
1: Our goal is to protect the lives and livelihoods of Australians. We have breaking news on a corona scare. The panic buying, self-isolating on a statewide level. Stop it.
0: It's Friday the 1st of May, this is Coronavirus Watch. Good to have you with us, Natalie Bongiolo and Ben O'Shea with you for this weekly wrap of everything COVID-related, especially here in WA, across the country and overseas. Ben, let's start with those very impressive numbers this week here in Western Australia.
1: Well, it's easy to take it for granted, but it's another day with zero new cases. Uh, WA has done so well. This week, there's only been two new cases of COVID-19 detected in Western Australia, which brings our total number of confirmed cases across this pandemic to 551. Uh, There are now currently just 11 people in hospital, only three in the ICU, uh, which means we've had 511 people recover from this virus uh, and currently only have uh, 32 active cases in Western Australia right now. And of those 32, uh, 23 are actually West Aussies. Uh, One is from interstate and the others are uh, from overseas.
0: It's actually, when we think back to perhaps a month or so ago, it's actually quite hard to believe that we got to this point that, you know, not only did we smash the curve, we smashed it. Um, It's just been extraordinary. Nationally, it's also looking very good. We had an update from the Chief Medical Officer today. In Australia, there are currently 6,765 cases. And really, we're we're tracking at less than 20 new cases a day. There's currently 1,100 active cases. Sadly, of course, there have been 93 deaths. But what is very promising is the numbers of testing that is being done. And so far, there's been in excess of 560,000 tests done across the country. And this is what has put Australia in such good stead compared to elsewhere around the world. So what is going on with the numbers across the globe?
1: Well, in the, in the past week, uh, we've seen a, continue, a continuation of the large number of new cases per day. We had about 80,000 in the past 24 hours, which is actually one of the fifth or sixth biggest single-day spikes since the pandemic began, uh, which brings the global total now to over 3.3 3 million confirmed cases of COVID-19. And uh, the number of deaths also continue to go up. Uh, we've had about 30,000 deaths added to the total over the past week, uh, which brings it to uh, 234,139 deaths uh, from the coronavirus.
0: Yeah, it is just absolutely heartbreaking to see those figures, and and I guess those countries must look to WA and to Western Australia and Australia and and wonder, you know, how we've done it. But of course, you know, we do have the fact that we are an island on our side. Um, Premier Mark McGowan has hinted at adjusting restrictions, if the health advice allows. um, But the government did make some really significant announcements today, particularly with this program called the DETECT program.
1: Yeah, with kids going back to school in vast numbers this week, uh, there was considerable anxiety uh, within the community and certainly amongst teachers uh, as to what might happen in terms of a potential spike in cases and whether teachers were going to be safe and protected. And, and so I think to address some of those fears, uh, the Premier announced that they were going to start testing in schools. The DETECT program uh, is a partnership between the state government and the Telephone Institute, uh, and they're going to just basically see what the situation is. They're going to do thousands of tests across uh, WA schools primary and secondary schools and residential colleges, about 80 in total uh, and it's going to be testing asymptomatic people. We know kids don't really uh, display the symptoms anyway in most cases and uh, the theory has been that they don't spread the virus as easily as well. So what this testing is about is to actually see if that's true, to actually see if there are a number of kids in Western Australia who are actually positive for COVID-19 and we don't even know about it. Teachers will be tested as well uh, and so this is going to roll out over the next few weeks uh, to give us a better idea, I guess, of what is happening in the schools. Um, Both the Health Minister, Roger Cook, and Mark McGowan and Education Minister, Sue Ellery, spoke today about the importance in giving people peace of mind, this reassurance that the schools are safe. All three politicians confirmed that in their belief and the evidence uh, tells them that the schools are fine, West Aussie schools are safe places because of our very low rate of infections here in Western Australia. But obviously... You want some evidence to back that up?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And this, of course, is being done with um, in conjunction with the Telethon Kids Institute and uh, Professor Jonathan Karapetis, who heads that up, talked about you know how this is a real game changer and this will be giving us some of the best information that's being collected about COVID anywhere in the world, and that. Uh, from the schools, then they would be looking at rolling it out to FIFO and frontline healthcare workers. So it just sounds like a really extraordinary program that they're launching through.
1: Yeah. And it's it's not just the actual tests, which uh, which uh, Dr. Peters said, they're not going to be as invasive as some of the of the testing that's happening at the COVID clinics where, you know, they stick the swab really right up the nasal passage. <laughs> it's it's <Yes>. quite, <laughs> quite un- unpleasant. The the version for kids is not going to go in as far. And he said that the Telephone Kids Institute are already doing, you know, these tests all the time. So they know that they're not a problem for kids to be subjected to. Uh, and he also said that was quite interesting. They're gonna. They're also going to try and study the psychosocial impact of COVID-19 on students. So not just, you know, how the virus affects them and, and how it might be spreading amongst the student population, but also how it's affecting them physically and mentally uh, in terms of their social interactions, the reduction of those, uh, their emotional health. And indeed, if this testing program is going to have a negative impact, because there are probably a lot of kids out there, younger kids in particular, who don't think about coronavirus at all. And so when they get tested and while they're waiting for results, will that have a negative effect on uh, their psychosocial uh, outlook on life? So it's, I think it's quite interesting that the study is going to take into account that as well.
0: Yeah, it's a really comprehensive uh, look at at how it will be done and, and what the results of that will mean for us here at home and for you know people around the world. And it was very interesting how uh, Health Minister Roger Cook talked today about how we're going to change the way we're reporting on the number of tests done, because here in Western Australia, we've been reporting on the number of people tested as opposed to the number of tests being performed, which some of the other states have been reporting in that way. So he's saying that uh, this means the reported numbers of tests being done in Western Australia will become a lot higher and at the moment we're over 40,000 uh, tests in the state. And he looked also at the uh, the rate of transmission and here in WA we're the second lowest rate of transmission in the country second only to the Northern Territory and really they are looking towards the Northern Territory as a, a maybe a good model to follow in terms of rolling back some of the um, restrictions.
1: Well, that's exactly right, Nat. Uh, and that, that low rate of, of transmission and infection in Western Australia is is really notable because we've had a lot more uh, people coming in from overseas via planes and cruise ships than they get in the Northern Territory. That's something that, that we uh, in the West and maybe Sydney in the East have had a lot more of that. Uh, and the fact that we have such a low rate is amazing. And the NT, they're at the point now where they're rolling out the, um, the easing of their restrictions. They're going to do it over three stages that'll happen between now and the start of June. Uh, they're looking at opening uh, playgrounds and skate parks and, you know, sort of open-air activities like golf. Uh, and then two weeks after that, it'll be things like uh, gyms and, and some other businesses uh, until, you know, two weeks after that, things will pretty much reopen uh, in a much broader scale. It, it's interesting the timing of those, 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 uh, those stages because if we know that the uh, coronavirus might take up to 14 days to become apparent, yeah. Uh, waiting two weeks in between stages might not be quite enough. So yeah. I think it's 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 handy to have the NT as the guinea pig. It wasn't that long ago we were talking about WA being a guinea pig, but now definitely the Northern Territory will be Australia's guinea pig uh, when it comes to easing restrictions. And, uh, yeah, both the, the Premier and, and the Health Minister spoke this week about keeping a close eye on what's happening in the Northern Territory because everybody acknowledges that uh, Australians want to get back to work, they want to get back to their regular life life. Um, but everybody knows that we have to do it safely.
0: That's right. And one of the things that we've seen is this mandatory training for the hospitality industry. Tell us a bit about that.
1: Yeah, well, I've actually, I actually did it this week, Now <laughs> I'll have you know. So the, the Premier are you, uh, spoke... are you
0: sideline jobbing? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I, might, yeah, I might have to, you never know. Uh, but it's yeah, so the Premier spoke on Wednesday about a mandatory uh, COVID-19 training and assessment Course that's happening online. It's being rolled out by the Australian Hotels Association WA branch, uh, and it's designed to uh, teach hospitality workers about uh, the virus, what they need to do to protect themselves, to protect their co workers, and to protect us, the general public, if we're coming back to bars and restaurants and cafes and stuff like that. Now, it's interesting because uh, nobody would argue that we have to find a way to get these 70,000 workers back on the tools. It's such a big part of the economy and also our. Social lives uh, and this our society, uh, but doing this course, there was a lot of reading that that went through all the information that you'd expect. Uh, but you don't have to do it; it wasn't mandatory to do the reading. I did the test without doing any of it, just to see what would happen, did and it pass? turns out, well, it's actually impossible to fail. Oh. It's uh, it's multiple choice, and sometimes there are only two or three choices, and it lets you cycle through the answers until you hit on the right one. So, I- I'm not. I wouldn't say I have 100% confidence that everybody who completes this and gets a certificate is going to be educated to the degree that would uh, make me feel uh, safe to eat in a restaurant uh, with, this, with, a, with a pandemic happening in the background. And there are questions like, one of the questions was, you know, what is community transmission? Is it A, the spread of a virus through the community, or B, a breakfast spread?
0: Yeah, wow. Okay, so I I guess they figure uh, some form of knowledge – is better than none. And if you can't answer these most basic questions, then at least those people get excluded from going back to work.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see. Like if, the, if the point is to rubber stamp people to go back to work, then I think this will be uh, extraordinarily efficient at doing that. Uh, in terms of training, I think if you would hope that people would would go into this uh, with, the, with the right approach, with the understanding that it is critical that People have the best knowledge uh, to arm themselves against the coronavirus, and that's in terms of cleaning, disinfecting, uh, staying in the right distance from people, all that kind of stuff, not touching, not having any sort of physical contact with food after it's been cocked, cooked. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on there that uh, can make uh, the hospitality industry so much safer. Uh, so you would hope that everybody you know, goes in there and does the right thing, um, and you certainly give them the benefit of the doubt, I guess, at this stage.
0: Yeah, that's right. Well, the National Cabinet met today and the Prime Minister told us that they're going to bring forward their decision-making process on when they should look at relaxing and easing these restrictions. So they're going to be doing that next Friday. Um, But they've said there is a very big but that could stop this from happening. So if you haven't downloaded the app yet, download it. If you know someone who hasn't downloaded the app
1: yet and you have encourage them to do so because if you're doing that then that is enabling the national cabinet to be able to ease these restrictions next friday yes yeah. yes yeah, scott morrison was in fine form today uh, he, he talked about the the plans going forward national cabinet are going to meet twice in the coming week as they look to decide what lockdown rules can begin to be rolled back uh, the timing next friday i think is interesting just before mother's day i think everybody wants to know Will they be able to go around and see mum or not? Uh, he talked. He, he talked about the fact that we can't. His, his words. We can't keep Australia under the doona. Uh, so <laughs> I'm, I'm not entirely sure what that means. I don't know what Australia has been doing under the doona. We might want to just make a note to check back in nine months and see if there's been any extra births. Uh, but for, for Scott Morrison today, it really all hinges on whether enough Australians download the COVID Safe app. He said, if you want to go to the pub on a Friday. night, you have to download the app and it doesn't get much easier than that for Australians.
0: Yeah, that's right. And it is so simple. And at this stage, we've only had 3.5 million people so far. We know that we need 40% of people to download the app. And this is what is going to lead to an easing of restrictions, because as he has said to us several times now, um, you know, if you don't pop your sunscreen on, you cannot go outside and play. So people just need to know if they do want to get back to the pubs and the bars and restaurants and uh, gyms and all those sorts of things, this tracing app is going to be the road that uh, gets us there. He also ran through some of the economic uh, numbers, which are really pretty staggering. So he told us that at the moment 1.5 million Australians are on Job Seeker, and that 900,000 of those claims have been processed in the past six weeks. Uh, 650,000 businesses have registered for JobKeeper. And almost a million people have made applications to access their their super, which, Mm. again, is absolutely mind-boggling and it just shows how much economic hardship people are probably under. Uh, Almost 7 million Australians have received the $750 payment and I think he said there will be another one made in July. And I, I guess he was just pointing out that, you know, Here, we are very lucky and although we, you know, do have a huge economic impact, we haven't suffered nearly as much of the blows that they have in other parts
1: of the world. Mm. Well, can you imagine, I I bet ScoMo is wishing right now that he tied that $750 payment to downloading the COVID Safe app. Yes,
0: absolutely. How easy would that have been?
1: Well, I don't know – honestly, I don't know why they didn't look at doing something like that. Uh, like I think if we've learned anything from Australians, you have to incentivize them <laughs> to do stuff uh, because it's – look, I think, you know, going back to the app uh, – I, I, there's been more reports this week about privacy, which I don't think is a concern. Reports about the Bluetooth interfering with medical devices. Um, and uh, for for frontline health workers, they're having to turn their phones off because it'll all, their phones will always show that they're coming into contact with people who have it and that creates problems in itself. So I, I think there's still some bumps to be ironed out when it comes mm. to the app. Uh, and. I would be very surprised if the government didn't need to find some way to to incentivize or motivate people to download it like I don't I really don't think they're going to hit that 40% mark yeah. without it
0: I mean, I did find it quite ironic today when Professor Murphy was showing his modelling and he was uh, looking at all this information about where people are and where they're they're going out and when they're on the road. And of course, he was getting all of this information from Google, who are already (laughs) tracking every move we make. And so it was quite ironic that he was then begging Australians to take up this app and I just... Uh, and I think the press gallery had a bit of a giggle at that point as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Like, and we know we know that the the big tech giants like Facebook they really do get a lot of information from us that we don't know about. Uh, so the app, this app, does nothing compared to what the Facebook app uh, takes from us. But. You know, we get something from the Facebook app. You know, you keep in touch with your friends and family, or you, you know, you, you snoop on your ex-girlfriend <laughs> or whatever. This app, when there's not, when there's not really a lot of, uh, you know, sort of new cases of coronavirus. I think they they, they miss the boat a little bit if they could yeah. have had it. You know, right a couple of a few weeks ago when things were looking really grim in Australia, I think it would have been a completely different story. Now I think the danger is uh, a lot of Australians feel complacent about where we're at with this coronavirus, and it might actually take a uh, spike in cases before people take it a bit more seriously.
0: Or they get sick of being in lockdown because this app is the path to freedom. This is yeah. This well, is.
1: Well, well, here's a thought, Nat. So when things start opening up again, you've got the uh, you've got the security guy at the front of a bar. Why don't you make it so one of the conditions of entry into a licensed premises is you have to have downloaded the app?
0: You should join national Cabot cabinet next yeah.
1: week. <laughs> instead of instead of showing your driver's license, you, you show your smartphone and show you downloaded the app. There you go, problem solved. Problem
0: solved. Well done. Okay, we're we're sending you <laughs> to Sydney next week.
1: <laughs> I just won't be able. I just won't be able to come back to WA without no. going into the 14 day quarantine.
0: Okay, heading overseas to China, where of course um, you know talk of a, a COVID investigation has caused all sorts of tension between Australia and our major trading partner.
1: Oh wow, like what a what a week it has been for Australian Chinese relations. This this uh, has turned into quite a uh, fiasco that has really involved uh, a number of politicians. Uh, Twiggy Forest, one of Australia's richest and most powerful business people, uh, and this Western Australia is very involved as well because we rely on uh, China for uh, trade of iron ore, so which props up our economy, for tourism. Uh, they're a massive, massive uh, trading partner, an important partner uh, for us here in Western Australia. So uh, when, when Scott Morrison, I okay again reiterated that there needed to be an independent uh, international investigation into the origins of COVID-19. It put the Chinese ambassador to Australia's nose out of joint and he suggested that there could be a boycott of Australian goods and that it could be uh, international students and tourists not coming to Australia anymore. Uh, then that whole thing was inflamed even further when uh, Andrew Forrest brought a, a Chinese diplomat to a, a, a talk with uh, the health minister, Greg Hunt, and that Without telling Greg Hunt in advance, and, and and Mr. Hunt didn't like that very much, and and so it's it's created a, a mm. very uh, look. It's a tinderbox, I think, at the moment. We know from from past experience that China doesn't take criticism very well, uh, and so. Uh, you got to go softly, softly. I think Malcolm Turnbull uh, said this week that the the best way to approach China is to to try and be as inclusive as possible. Don't point the finger at them, and instead, you know, try and try and bring them inside the tent. I yeah. think. Uh, and so uh, I guess we'll all have to watch how this is going to unfold. We know, of course, uh, Donald Trump is not, doesn't have much interest in, um, in putting out the flames with China. No. Uh, and so it could, it could very easily create a situation where you know, we're put in the position of having to choose whether we align ourselves with the US or align ourselves with a very important trade partner in China.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, these are the very uh, difficult diplomatic type ropes that they must walk and especially at times like these. And speaking of Donald Trump, I mean, uh, you know, surely he has hit a new level of are you serious when he questioned if disinfectant could maybe be injected.
1: Yeah, well that's really the big story out of the US this week. It's kind of it kind of dominated uh, all of the certainly all of the late night uh, talk shows. They're all happening from the hosts' homes at the moment. Yeah, to to it was an offhand off the cuff remark that he made in a uh, a briefing that, you know, bleach and disinfectant kills COVID-19 in a matter of seconds. So, you know, could it be injected into the human body? Uh, and then of course, immediately, uh he was called out on it by uh doctors uh, Uh, and the media scientists who were watching on via social media, which then, over the coming days, prompted more questions both to Trump and to his administration via the the White House uh, comms people. Uh, And and they said things like... uh, uh, it was a joke. It was sarcasm. It was a test of the reporters to <laughs> yes. see uh, how biased they were, if they were going to believe it. Um, so it's—he uh, really has been mocked and pilloried ever since. And it's interesting that some apparently some internal uh, polling that has been supplied to him this week has shown that uh, he would today he would lose an election to uh, Joe Biden. Wow. Uh, and so whether or not that changes uh, the things that come out of his mouth, I would be reluctant to say it will. I don't think uh, anything that uh, has happened uh, internationally since he's since he started uh, living in the White House has changed Donald Trump. Uh, he's changed all the rest of us.
0: <laughs> That's so true. Uh, now, over in the UK, they've had an absolute terrible time and and uh, there are predictions that they will be one of the worst hit nations in the world with uh, the way that COVID-19 has has spread through the UK, but an absolute adorable story that has come out of the UK with a, a fellow called Captain Tom Moore, and everyone has fallen in love with this old war veteran who's been raising money in in a very
1: unusual way. Yeah, and so can, can I. Just what, did, what, what? How was he raising money?
0: Well, he was um, he was doing a marathon in his backyard.
1: Oh, was he? Because I saw saw the story about all the – I saw the pictures of all the cards, but I didn't know what he did to get them. So that's what he did So his fundraiser. Yeah, so so that was his fundraiser,
0: running around in circles in his backyard and he's almost 100, yeah.
1: Okay, so you you said uh, it's raising money in a very funny way. Yes. Yeah, okay, okay, give me a sec. Yeah, that's right, Nat. He served in India and Burma during World War Two, uh, and he's been running laps of his backyard uh, as a as a hundred-year-old uh, to raise money. And and people, it's incredible how much he's raised. Uh, his fundraiser has topped 23 million pounds, so that's what is that? It's nearly 45 million Australian dollars, uh, which is just that'd be staggering for anybody, let alone a, a, a centurion. And as a result, uh, you've probably seen the pictures on the internet. He's received 140,000. <laughs> thank you cards. And his his, uh, his kids have helped arrange them. And it is a, it's incredible to see all the cards laid out like that. Like it really is the most amazing outpouring of uh, love and acknowledgement for this war veteran. And uh, you'll love this. On his 100th birthday, he received his, his, his message from the Queen. Um, and uh, he also got an honorary promotion. He was promoted from captain to colonel.
0: <laughs> Let's have a little listen to what he said. Yes, the Saint Elizabeth. This won't get thrown away. <laughs> to have the, the good wishes from so many people really is quite outstanding. It's 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 mind breaking, really. In the skies
1: over Bedfordshire, they've been highlighting his record fundraising achievement. Some of the first presents were delivered by members of his old Yorkshire regiment, including a promotion. There is a letter here. Uh, from the
0: Chief of the General Staff that conveys your appointment to become the Honorary Colonel of our Army Foundation College. Well, he actually just warms the cockles of my heart and I think for everyone and I feel like I've not done the right thing by sending him a birthday card so I might have to uh, get one and I'll send one from you and I.
1: Yeah, that sounds fantastic.
0: Well, that's what's happened this week in the world of coronavirus. Stay safe and we'll see you next Friday for the next instalment of Coronavirus Watch. See you then.